We're the Hydratonite Super Adivas If you got HS, you'll want to meet us It's not your fault, put the shame to a halt HS Divas know how to have a ball The Hydratonite is Super Adivas Put the shame to a halt, cause it's not your fault Hi everybody, my name is Brinley Welcome to the Hydratonite Super Adivas podcast Sponsored by UCB Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Hydradenitis Super Divas podcast. And today we are here with one of my absolute favorite people in the world, Dr. Stephen Dave Louie. Hi, Dr. Dave Louie. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Brenly. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Absolutely. So Dr. Dave Louie, for those of you who don't know, is huge in the HS community. Um, he's part of the HS Foundation Board. He is a dermatologist at Wayne State University in Detroit. Um, heavy, heavy into HS. It is a holiday weekend, and here he is on his day off talking with us about HS. <laughs> he cannot escape it. I mean, it might be because I'm somewhat of a stalker, so uh, that's how we ended up here. But um, Dr. Dave Louie is also on our uh, medical director board, which is absolutely amazing for HS Connect, um, and is always available to answer my questions and help me talk through my crazy ass ideas that I'll come up with <laughs> to see if he thinks they're viable. So I am so grateful to you to be here. And we're going to start. Uh, I want Mahala and Sid to kind of take the lead today because really we want to go back to the basics with what is HS to, to just basically if you have an hour to spend with a dermatologist, which we know never happens, um, <laughs> You know, what questions would your following have and what questions do you guys have for Dr. Dave Louie about HS? So I think we'll start off with the main question, which everybody has, is what is HS? And in some ways, it's an easy question. In some ways, it's a really tough question because we're still learning more and more about HS. So what does it look like to have HS? It usually shows up as boils. Um, which are swell, swollen areas of the skin that might have pus inside. We sometimes officially call them abscesses or nodules, and they most commonly show up in the skin folds, so the armpits, the groin, the buttocks, underneath the breasts. But with HS, for every rule, there's more than one exception, so those aren't the only places it can show up. You might also get smaller spots that look almost like pimples in the areas, Sometimes people might call it folliculitis, which is another skin disease where the hair gets kind of pimply inflammation. And then as the disease gets worse or progresses, you get some scar formation and you can get these tunnels forming underneath the skin that then might drain, they might swell up. It usually has what we call flares and then better times or remissions. So they kind of have good days and bad days. Some days it really flares up. Things are red and swollen and painful and draining. And other days it might calm down a little bit more. Um, in terms of what it is in terms of the science, we are still figuring it out. <laughs> we know that the immune system has something to do with it. And if we give you treatments that calm down your immune system, it can help. We also know that bacteria play some sort of role in the disease, and there's bacteria that normally live on our skin and live in our hairs. So we know that those can play a role and they might trigger the immune system. Um, so we're sort of still figuring out exactly what it is in terms of genes and bacteria and the immune system, but we sort of know what it is in terms of making the diagnosis of do you have HS? Do you get boils most commonly in those areas? Do they come and go? 
Awesome. Awesome. So what would be the first thing we should be looking for if we think we have HS and we want to go to a dermatologist? What are the major signs or symptoms? If you know someone who has it, when should you say we're at the point we need to go see a dermatologist? It's a very good question because one of the issues we face with HS is most people have a delay before they get the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. There's more than one reason for it, but a big problem we have is awareness. So I'm so glad that we're getting the word out more. Um, And when I say awareness, I mean, a lot of doctors don't recognize it. So that's where it's really important for you to sort of listen to what we're saying and recognize it because you might actually have to tell your doctor, I think I have HS and need to see a dermatologist and they might not have heard about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you get sort of pimple like lesions in your armpits, your groin, under your breasts that come and go more than once, if you just get one abscess, then it's most likely just an infected hair follicle, it'll go away. But if you start to have more than one in a six month period or in a year, that's a sign that it could be HS because HS tends to come and go like that. They might even be kind of bigger, like red swollen areas, like I said, those boils that come, or it might be more small pimples. And when it's the small pimples, it's hard to know, is this early HS or just folliculitis? But a dermatologist can still help you at that point to start some treatments and then keep an eye on it to see what it's going to do. That's really awesome. So what would you recommend as somebody who's coming into your office, you know, they are feeling that way that, you know, I've had one or two in the last six months to a year, what effective treatment option would you be, would you think is best for them? A lot of times for early stage disease, we have some treatments. And then as things advance, we have different treatments. So some of the early treatments are antibacterial washes, And there are actually, most of them are available over the counter. So that's something you can even start if it takes a while, which it usually does, to get in to see a dermatologist. You might even consider starting one of the washes. Um, So there's some that have uh, an ingredient called benzoyl peroxide. We use it really commonly for acne that you could start using just once a day to wash the areas. Or shampoos that have zinc pyrithione, which are usually dandruff shampoos that have zinc as their active ingredient. They can be beneficial because they tend to kind of kill some of the bacteria on the skin and even have a little calming effect on the skin. Um, and then there's another one called chlorhexidine that's available um, that you can get, too, if you want to try one of those out. And then there's another one that has um, sodium hypochlorite, which is actually like a very, very diluted bleach, almost like pool chlorine. Okay. Um, and that can be another one that could help out to, to get a treatment. And that's usually something I give people early on. And then I'll usually prescribe a topical antibiotic called clindamycin as well. I always tell people, kind of be ready because any treatment you start, since HS has its ups and downs, you might still have a flare up. So I always say that doesn't mean the treatment isn't working. You've got to kind of stick with it a little more and see, all right, am I having less flare ups? Is there more time in between them? Are they less severe? Um, Because it can be discouraging when you start a new treatment and then a a couple of weeks later you have a flare up and you think, well, there goes that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And it's hard sometimes, I think, with HS, like journaling is a really good way to decide and and see if you're having constant flares because our memory, our recall bias, you know, that what you remember about your HS is really limited. So if if you're unsure if something is working, like start a treatment journal, even if you're just writing down no flares or, you know, flare started and flare ended so that you can actually look back and see if something is working because it's really difficult. You know, like most of us, we expect uh, all of a sudden if we've started a a treatment regimen of some kind that like, boom, we should be done. And that's just not the nature of HS. So you can tend to like just discount 
discount something entirely right. because you're not seeing it working consistently across the board. But that's just the nature of this disease. And so I think in a way, it's impossible to know if something's working until you're actually doing that, which it feels like a lot of work for people. But it really does. Yeah. And I think it hits home for me because that's the first thing that dermatologist gave to me was like, let's take some Hibiclins, you know, yep. like this is going to be the best option for you right now. And because my HS still came back, you know, I was like, this, this doesn't work. <laughs> and I didn't go back to the dermatologist for like seven years. But it's like, we really have to start wrapping our head around the fact that like, these are treatments and not cures. Yes. And so I think that's really, yeah. really cool yeah. um, that you have that for your patients, Dr. Dave Louis. So and accessibility yeah. is very important for me and a lot of my following as well. So it's really nice to hear. One of my favorite things is when doctors give me over-the-counter options. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, whether you have insurance or not, accessibility and just being able to get something right away that can help is life-changing, whether you have access to a dermatologist or not, you know. Correct. So actually, you already have given me a bigger list of over-the-counter <laughs> things than I've ever heard <laughs> from going to dermatologists, you know, because that's always, I unfortunately haven't had insurance for a very long time. So that's always my question to a dermatologist well what can I get without insurance yeah. you know what can yeah. I get so that's really awesome to know there's a lot of over-the-counter options in regards to diet for the most part we understand food and a lot of things aren't always a trigger for anyone but is there something you think that mass majority you could avoid that may possibly help the majority of people with HS yeah and I love the way you asked the question because that's usually when people ask about diet I have to start by saying all right not everything works for everybody what works for one person yeah. might not work for someone else so like it's so great that you guys know that so well that sometimes diet's a big issue and sometimes you make all the diet changes and nothing happens some of the things that we have research on to sort of show us and some experience with are dairy um, so dairy can be a flare for people um, the proteins and different components in, in cow's milk can actually trigger a lot of inflammation. If you sort of think about it as you're consuming something that wasn't really meant for you, it's meant for a baby cow, but <laughs> we drink it and we eat it. Your body goes, this isn't for us. What's going on? And in some people, it can really trigger a lot of inflammation. So you can switch to a um, non-dairy milk and non-dairy products that are made from you know nuts or soy or even pea protein. Um, and see if that helps out. I usually tell my patients, if you're thinking dairy might be a trigger, go dairy free for about two months. If you feel like you could tell it got better, just stick with it. If you aren't really sure, then go crazy. Eat a ton of dairy and see what happens. And if you flare up, <laughs> sometimes the, the clue like, uh oh, it was dairy. I just couldn't appreciate it until I had the cheese and the ice cream and the milk. Another one that gets a little tricky is something called brewer's yeast. So there were a couple studies that showed if patients avoided this brewer's yeast in their diet, that their HS did better. Um, one of them was after surgery, they would put people on this diet and they noticed if they stuck to it, they did good. And if they got some diet in the, some brewer's yeast in the diet, which we call like a re-challenge, they flared up. That one, what I do with my patients is there's an antibody. So the brewer's yeast is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And there's an antibody you can check to see if you're sensitive to it. Um, when you check the antibody, you want to make sure you're actually just eating a normal diet, because if you're already avoiding it, then the test won't show up. Right. Um, so that's a good way because it's a little bit of a hard diet. You have to avoid basically all baked goods that have yeast in them. I'm so out. that's. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so many of us. <laughs> yes. And then it's like 
fermented stuff, beer, cheese, wine. So it's kind of a long list. So it's not one that I usually tell people, oh, try it out. I say, let's check for the antibody. And if it's an issue, then it gives you that extra motivation. Like, all right, I think this will work for me. And then the other things that have been studied are the Mediterranean diet, um, which is sort of a healthy diet, low red meat, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, um, olive oil as the main oil instead of cholesterol and fat. Um, The one problem with the Mediterranean diet is it is a little bit sort of expensive and labor intensive. If you're buying fresh fruits and vegetables, you're going to the grocery store at least once a week. So it's a little bit more of a challenge for lifestyle. But if you can even start swapping out some of those good healthy foods and getting rid of the inflammatory foods that are high in cholesterol and saturated fat and high in sugars, if you kind of think of like a fast food meal is the food you want to avoid. Yeah. Um, Then the last one, it was cool. There was a study they did during the month, the holy month of Ramadan when people were fasting. And they showed that fasting can help to improve the the HS2. And the people actually didn't lose weight during that time because they only fast while the sun is up. And then afterward, you usually get together with your family and have a nice big meal to celebrate the holiday every day. So that's one that you people can try is what we call intermittent fasting, where you might just not eat for periods during the day, like maybe from noon until or from 8 p.m. until noon the next day. So you're basically sort of stopping at 8 p.m. and not having breakfast and you drink lots of water, but it just helps your body to shift into a, a different mode where it can kind of rest and repair instead of handling all the food that you're eating and digesting things. That's amazing. You gave us so many options just now. I'm like, okay. No, and I I really love it so much because I think people do need to have the options without just being like, just do the AIP diet and it's all going to get better. You know, like we need options because we know HS is not one size fits all. So I think that's really cool and nice perspective you gave us. I have a question. So a comment... A comment I get frequently in my comment section is like, clean your blood, you know, like, why do they say that? And like, I know there's also like eating for your blood type, which is kind of like trending in a little bit. Um, People are learning their blood type and seeing if that's going to work for them. But like, what would cleaning your blood do? Is that helpful or is it not helpful? You know, we don't have a lot of research to support it. Um, I think sometimes people are sort of looking for an answer. And so there's this concept of sort of detoxing or cleaning your blood. And it, it, it sort of fits with what we do know is that certain foods are more inflammatory and sort of trigger immune reactions and other ones are anti-inflammatory. So I think it sort of fits with what we were talking about earlier with, you know, like eating good foods and the healthier foods and avoiding the bad ones. It's just kind of a, a, almost trendier, fun way to say it was like, oh, clean your blood. And I think sometimes, you know, like we're all human beings. We want like the simple solution, right? You know, everybody tells you like, oh, like totally change your diet, do this, eat these good foods. Don't eat those ones. And you're like, is there like a quicker way? I'm going to use this body wash. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Right. But I think there's some validity. And that's what I tell people a lot. If they, if they're kind of like, well, do I need a detox? I'll say, well, the fasting is kind of a detox. Your body will really go through and This is maybe TMI, but when you're fasting, so you can sort of look at the color of your urine to know what's going through your kidneys. So if you're dehydrated and your kidneys are getting a lot of like toxins out of your body, it's real dark yellow. 
But if you're really well hydrated, it's really light. There's not much to it. Your urine is like almost water. And so you'll, you'll notice if you fast that as you're just drinking water, all of a sudden your urine is like basically just water. So it's kind of a sign that your kidneys, your liver, everything, those things that filter your blood aren't having to work as hard because they're not handling inflammatory things triggered by your foods. So that's a big one. I tell people is if you really want a good detox, I like fasting. Um, you do want to do it, um, do a little research, look it up because you don't want to go. Da- I mean, it is possible to go days and days on just a water fast and not food, but work your way up to it. Talk to your doctor. Don't jump right into it. Oh, you I'm better not be praying with days. that fast. That's what you call a spiritual fast. And you need somebody yes, to give yes. you some strength. Yeah, that is crazy. And what do we know HS is not? Meaning, do we know it is caused from hygiene? Do we know what do we know it is and isn't? Excellent point, because many people with HS hear a lot of misconceptions, even coming from doctors and healthcare providers, and just kind of saying things that are not true. I think unfortunately, that's most of our experience. Yeah, Yeah. it's hearing it even from doctors, which is really unfortunate, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it, it sort of is this unfair burden with HS that since so many doctors don't know a lot about it, you have to teach your doctor. So you have to go back and say like, hey, you told me it was this and it turns out it's not this. (laughs) I need a reimbursement. (laughs) I need a practice. Because the thought of telling my doctor they're wrong. Oh my gosh, anxiety attack. (laughs) Right, right. Hopefully your doctor is very friendly and open-minded. They may not be. (laughs) But go ahead. So one big one is not an infection. And I can see where it's hard for people because HS looks like an infection. It sort of is that same part of your immune system that would react to an infection. So you get this boil that's full of pus, which is the same thing that would happen if you got a skin infection in the area. But we know it's not an infection because A, it's not contagious. B, we can calm it down by calming down the immune system. But if you have an infection and you block your immune system, the infection gets worse because it kind of runs rampant. Um, It also is a little tricky because antibiotics can help HS. So that kind of confuses people a little into thinking it's an infection. Um, And we think the antibiotics may help because some are anti-inflammatory and calm the immune system in addition to fighting bacteria. And then, like I mentioned earlier, we think maybe some of those bacteria might be stimulating the immune reaction. So even though it's not a real infection, just those bacteria living there might be causing the inflammation and wiping them out might help. It is not due to poor hygiene, which is a really horrible thing that people hear from their doctors and healthcare providers. And it makes you feel ashamed of yourself and unclean. Mm -hmm. So let's get that out. It is not due to poor hygiene. It has nothing to do with your hygiene. In fact, sometimes overwashing can actually cause more problems with irritation and with blocking up your pores that could trigger more HS. Um, So it's a really harmful thing that people can tell people that it's from their hygiene. Um, And people sometimes go to extreme measures to, you know, all right, well, if if I'm doing my normal hygiene and it isn't working, let me shower 10 times a day. Um, So it's definitely not due to poor hygiene. There is some sort of connection with between smoking in HS and obesity in HS, but it's really important to note that they are not the cause of the HS. In fact, we aren't even sure which one triggers which because when the inflammation from HS affects your body, it can increase your risk of getting obesity, of high blood pressure, Mm. of heart disease. It's really stressful on your body to have all that inflammation and things just don't work the way that they're supposed to work. And you see it with all the other problems that are more common in people who have HS. 
but those are not the causes of HS. Right now, we don't really know the cause. We know that there's some genetic piece to it. So like one in three people or about 30% have a family member who has it as well, which is another really important point is if you do have HS and you have children particularly, share with them at least a little about your HS, especially around puberty or after so that yeah. they know if they start to have lesions developing, they can talk to you about it. Um, you know, puberty is very awkward. You don't tell your parents about every little thing that's happening to you during puberty because it's just a weird time for everybody. Right. <laughs> so I always tell my patients, it's good to make sure that your kids know that they are at risk of getting it because you have it. And that if they start to have any kind of boils or breakouts in those areas to talk to you about it. Awesome. And you mentioned puberty. So what do we know about the hormonal connection to HS? So HS usually shows up after puberty, during or after puberty. Now, like we said, there's an exception to every rule and sometimes um, it get, happens earlier in adolescence, but it's most common in people in their 20s and 30s. And we don't fully understand why. We know that the oil glands that develop during puberty, sort of how you don't have body odor before puberty, then during puberty, you start to get body odor. Sometimes you have to <laughs> let teenagers know that they need to start using teenage deodorant. boys for sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we think that that's why it might show up is because those glands might be involved. Um, and those are these oil glands that are in the areas that are common for HS, like the armpits, the groin. We don't really see them in places like the forearm or the legs. Um, but that's not the whole picture, but we think that might be involved. And then we also know with hormones that um, fluctuations in your hormones can cause flares. So especially for women, a lot of women will flare right before their period. And that's when this hormone called progesterone goes up right before you start, you go on your cycle. And we know that that hormone for some people can really trigger the HS, but we don't understand exactly how. Um, and then sometimes Treating the hormones like with something like a birth control pill um, can help HS for some people, especially if they have those flares. So hormones play some kind of role and we haven't figured it out exactly yet. Um, that's another thing that makes people kind of, it reminds them of acne in a sense that it comes on during or after puberty, the hormones kind of affect it, but that's kind of where the similarities end with acne. Although People with HS have a higher risk of acne and people wow. with severe acne have a higher risk of HS, wow. but those might just be sort of something triggering both of them. Yeah, for sure. Do we have any research that HS may lessen, I guess, the symptoms as you get older then? Like maybe a woman who's getting off of their period, et cetera? Do I we see have a any... lot of older women mm -hmm. in my comments who are like, I'm going through menopause and my yep. HS got worse. And I think worse. hormones okay. also it like, can play come a part at there. any mm -hmm. time. And I think that's because we talk so much about puberty sometimes. I think that we get stuck in that yeah. cycle, but it really mm -hmm. can come on at any point in time. A lot of women don't have issues until after they maybe have given birth for the first time mm -hmm. too. Um, mm -hmm. Or they may not have it after their first child, but after their second Gosh, child. Hormones are like you crazy know, town so after It really birth. can come at any time. And I think because we focus so much sometimes on specific points that we get lost in that. Yeah. And it's the mm -hmm. same thing with when we're focusing on um, the specific areas where it's most common. We Because we talk only about that, people extrapolate and take like oh well that's the only places it can affect when it really can happen anywhere on the body there's a hair follicle so we see yeah. a lot of people with it on their backs who are being misdiagnosed constantly with like back acne 
because mm -hmm. they're saying, oh, well, this isn't um, it's not a skin fold area. So it definitely can't be HS. But that's that's the, the most common, the most frequent places. But it's not all inclusive. And the same thing with the age, too. It wow. can come yeah. on at any point. So are people in their 60s, 70s, 80s? Do we have research about they're still having the same severity of that oh my gosh I, mean, I, I hope i'm not CNA 80 and i feel having... like I, I saw people as a cna with hs now i know it was hs then i'm like they just have acne down there I you know dr syed just did a paper on that didn't he where he was talking about like when it comes on um later it's more severe oh, and yes. and happens faster isn't that right i think i just read that Yes, yes, absolutely. So that's like Brindley said, it's so tricky because for every rule in HS, yeah. <laughs> there's at least one exception. Um, so a lot of people do sort of get better as, as with time and with age, but some people like Brindley just said, show it shows up in your 60s, your 70s. And for some reason, those cases tend to be kind of more severe. Mm -hmm. So we don't know, is there something else that triggered it at that point? Is the, like you said, are the hormonal changes of menopause involved in some way? Yeah. Then the other thing that gets really tricky with HS is you if, you, if it starts earlier, but it causes some of the tunneling and sort of those permanent changes, those the damage to the skin, the scarring, the tunneling, it might not calm down in the sense that, it's just kind of stuck where it is. Like the skin is healed wrong. It's formed these tunnels that keep draining. So you might not be getting new spots when you're older, but it's not really getting any better because those spots just aren't getting better. You're sort of, you know, you've got that damage to the areas, which is why we really want to try to start treatments earlier and get it under control to prevent that. Um, and sometimes surgeries can be helpful when you have those tunnels and that scarring where, you know, you think overall my inflammation seems calm, but I'm still having drainage. Or I'm still having problems with this spot. Yeah. One of the questions I wanted to ask you actually kind of based in into surgery. So HS is not a sweat gland disease. Is that correct? Because correct. I think in the past it was thought to be like as we were learning more about HS. And so that yep. kind of has stuck with a lot of people and, and with derms as well, I think. <clears throat> excuse me and they haven't you know it hasn't kind of come full circle yet to, to understand that it's not a sweat gland disease right. but we do see still a lot of patients who are having surgery where they're saying oh I got all my sweat glands removed first of all is that even possible you know it's funny because we hear that a lot yes and and like you said I I don't know where it started I think like you said I think that there was confusion that this is a sweat gland disease. And even the name of it is kind of a not great name because the hydradenitis part, kind of when we're talking about medical terms, almost makes it seem like it's a little bit of a sweat gland disease, but it's not. Um, and we know that because you can do laser hair removal and that can help people. So like you said, it's really more about the hair follicle and maybe some of the oil and sweat glands associated with it, but it's really sort of more of like a hair follicle disease. And then the, the cutting out all the sweat glands, I think that started as a simple way for surgeons to kind of describe what they were going to do. But really, when people say that, usually what happened is they actually have all of the skin removed from an area. So you have all your skin removed all the way through the thickness. We all know there's kind of like layers of the skin. Right. And so there's the upper layers that we're used to. And then the hairs and the sweat glands are down in the deeper layers. So for these surgeries, they would basically remove the full thickness of skin in those areas. So I guess in a way they were removing the sweat glands, but really they were just removing everything. And then you just let it scar over or they would do a skin flap from another area or a graft to kind of get it to heal. So 
it's kind of funny because people would say like, oh, I had my sweat glands removed or the doctor would say, oh, they're going to remove your sweat glands. They're actually just removing all of the skin of the area, um, which is kind of why that surgery can be helpful is because that's the skin that is affected by the HS. When you take it out, hopefully that calms it down. Sometimes it kind of shows up at the edges of the scars mm -hmm. or comes back. But yeah, it really wasn't like they're going in there and removing each little sweat <laughs> gland out of your skin and you leave and you're like, oh, this is great. I just don't have sweat glands anymore. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's good to know because we also know that patients are probably relaying these messages because that's how the doctors yes. are describing it too. you know, Mary Cosby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I am a huge proponent for surgery myself. Yeah. Like it has absolutely changed my life. And I've had those uh, wide excisions done that you're talking about where it's just, you know, basically down to the subcutaneous fat. And it's it's amazing. And it's been absolutely life changing for me. So I'm a huge proponent of people. I figured, look, I'm going to be scarred one way or another. Like, at least I get to choose these scars. These ones are my choice. It was empowering for me to do it because I I'm going to be stuck with them one way or another. So I would rather at least take a chance on um, having a better outcome and knowing that there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee it won't come back on the edges. There's no guarantee that it won't come in a different area. And a lot of times, the other thing I think we see is that people will say, oh, I had surgery and it moved somewhere else. And it was like, well, it was going to most likely be there anyway. That isn't a like, oh, well, you closed off this road. So this is now the detour that HS is creating. It was most likely I going to occur so many there. of them are just also like, they don't know that, yeah. you know, I had no idea my HS can shift from here to up here yeah. and then to back here and then to right here, you know, but mm. like once they did that, I was kind of like, whoa, like maybe this is getting serious. Like maybe yeah. I should, maybe I should talk to a dermatologist. So I heard you, Dr. David, we talk about laser hair removal and I actually just got waxed um, and I, I just tried it last month and then tried it again and I have no open like draining or active flares. So, I mean, it's working for me, but there is a lot of people who are wondering is laser hair removal efficient what's the best way to do hair removal and is there any way that you can get like your insurance to maybe cover if it's like medically necessary great questions the hair removal piece in terms of removing your hair at home or at a salon is really tricky some people shaving makes them flare up other people find that they do better if they kind of keep the hair shaved um, some people waxing triggers a flare, other people waxing seems to be great. So unfortunately with HS, there's a lot of things that are sort of trial and error, right. figuring out what's going to work right for you or what's going to make you flare. Uh, we talk about that a lot with clothing too. For some people, tight clothing makes it flare. For other people, if clothing's too loose and their skin is kind of moving too much, they flare. Um, for some people, certain fabrics are worse. And for some people, the, those are better fabrics. Um, so there's a lot of trial and error. And that's why I always say, get connected with one of the support groups like HS Connect, because talking to other people and sharing stories and hearing, you know, oh, you could try this or try that is really helpful. You do want to remember, like I said, not everything works for everybody. So someone might be really excited that something worked for them, but it may not work for you. When it comes to laser hair removal, we have quite a few studies now that show that it's helpful. Um, there's a di few different kinds of lasers. And the good news is it looks like they all work. So it's really cool. sort of the technique of destroying those hair follicles. So the laser goes through your skin and doesn't harm it. It heats up the pigment inside your hair follicles to burn or inside the actual hairs to burn the follicle around it so that the hair will stop growing. So you usually have to get a few sessions like somewhere between one to two months between each one, four to six sessions, maybe more, maybe less. 
Um, and then you do usually get less hair growth. That's kind of, it's almost like regular laser hair removal. Your hairs stop growing um, and that can help the HS. It's not reliable, just like anything, but it's, it's as reliable as any of the other treatments we have. Pretty low risk of side effects. It can be a little uncomfortable when we're doing it. Um, and then you might have a little bit of a flare up, especially after the first treatment. So like when I do it for patients, I usually have them on some other medications to keep things as calm as possible, maybe an antibiotic or another treatment. Um, and then the insurance coverage thing is an issue. We're pushing more and more insurances to cover it. Um, I've had some success with some of the insurances we take in covering it and not as much with others. There is... Um, for if there's any like physicians listening, or if you want to relay this to your physician is you can sometimes bill it as a destruction benign. There's a code for that. So some insurances will cover it under that. Um, that one's a little bit tricky because it's meant for like, if you come in and we freeze a ward, or I mean, it's meant for anything we destroy. But um, if you start having a laser hair removal session that takes, you know, like 30 or 45 minutes, then that, that code doesn't really reimburse for all of that time, but it's still something. And a lot of doctors will do it as a service to patients knowing like, Hey, uh, you know, this normally this would, this would cost more, but we're going to do it this way so that you can get access to this treatment. Um, and through the HS foundation, we're trying to push insurances by showing them this evidence. Um, and if you want the HS foundation on the website has these things called prior auth letters, so if your doctor is looking to get something covered, they can go on there and it has all the literature to help them get things covered. So they just fill in the blanks, send it to the insurance, and it makes things a little bit easier for them to sort of get things covered, which is always good because we got a lot of prior authorizations. We got to do. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah so cool. I'm amazing. so glad you mentioned that because I was just going to say, wait, do they have one on the HS Foundation website? Um, yeah. So and and as a patient, be informed. So like, write that down. Ask if they can bill it under that. Like, you know, the doctor is also wanting to help you as much as they can. Yeah. So if we if we're learning maybe ways around things from Dr. Dave Louie, take that information in. Go on to the HS Foundation website yourself and look at the prior authorization templates. Print out the one that your doctor may need taken in with you because they've already done all the work for us Yeah. so that mm -hmm. your doctor doesn't have to regurgitate all of that information and can just send off what they already have. So it is super, super helpful. And I feel like it's our responsibility too as patients Absolutely. to try to do what we can to help expedite and move this through. And there's a lot more lobbying, I think, that's going to be done um, as far as the HS space and making all of these things more readily available to people. Um, you know, we've kind of been in the background for a while and have not had treatment options. And we we want to make sure that as many treatment options as are available are are out there to the public. So I think, you know, there's a lot more that's going to be done with lobbying federal government wise and health insurance wise and payer wise so that we can make sure that that stuff is is being used wherever it can be. It's such an exciting time. It so is. I know you touched on what you would say to somebody who was fairly, you know, thinking they're stage one ish. What are what's what's going on for those who are a little more severe stage two, stage three? What would you what treatment options are available for them? One of the things that I usually do with patients in clinic is when I look at the areas that are involved on their skin, I'm looking for do you have scars? Do you have tunneling? Do you have boils? Do you have abscesses, nodules? And based on that, for patients who are a little bit further advanced and have some of that scarring and tunneling, I usually talk about there being two ways to treat HS, medical things and surgical things. And I say, you're probably going to need a combination. So we'll start some medical treatments, which might be the washes, the topical antibiotics, maybe some antibiotic pills that actually have studies to show they can help in HS. Um, spironolactone is this sort of 
anti-hormone treatment that doesn't change your hormones, but stops it from affecting your skin. So that's an option for women. We don't really use it in men because it can cause them to turn more feminine. Um, and then we have things like our biologic medications. So there's one that's approved called Adalimumab or Humira, but sometimes we use off-label Infliximab or others. And I tell them those medical therapies, the goal is to calm things down. So less redness, less swelling, less pain, and stopping new spots from coming or slowing down the new spots. Then after we really get your medical therapies good, it'll be easier for us to look back and say, okay, now what spots are still there, still bothering you? Do you still have a tunnel that's draining or do you still have one spot that comes and goes in that exact same spot? And even when it is doing good, you can still feel it under the surface. And I usually say that those are the ones that are probably going to need some surgery. Um, and we have the bigger surgeries. Sometimes you even go to the operating room or we have some little in-office surgeries that can be done. Like one is called de-roofing where we kind of take the top off one of the spots and let it just scar in from the bottom. Um, and hopefully your dermatologist is comfortable doing de-roofing. It's a procedure that we have the skills to do based on the other procedures we do. It's nothing out of our sort of wheelhouse for what we do, but a lot of dermatologists weren't trained with it because it was sort of developed in the last 10 to 15 years as a technique right. for treating HS. So they might not be familiar with it, but we're really trying to get the word out and say, hey, start with a small lesion. You'll do great. You'll do fine. You have the skills for it. Um, so hopefully it's an option that can be offered. If not, sometimes you'll coordinate with like a surgeon to get the surgery and your dermatologist will still be involved doing the medical side of things. Okay, nice. Yeah. And if your surgeon needs to see de-roofing videos on our healthcare provider part of our website and for patients who want to see what it looks like too, um, we have three videos, one of which is Dr. Dave Louis posted on there. So if you just go to the healthcare provider section of hsconnect.org, you'll see three different ones, um, which... I've shown to my my term as well, like my NP who was helping me um, and then she felt comfortable. So I think that it's a great way for them to get Absolutely. introduced and as a patient to see like kind of what you can expect. There's a couple different ways it can be done, um, mm -hmm. but it's also nice if you like to be informed beforehand and kind of know what to expect to yeah. see that. As we're wrapping up, I'm realizing like my biggest takeaway of this podcast and talking to the doctors is it's really a team effort here. Yeah. You know, I'm realizing I have to take mm -hmm. a lot more responsibility as a patient. I have yeah. to be educating and I have to make sure to be communicating this with my doctor. As you mentioned, we can't always see a dermatologist, let alone one that has information on HS. And I also mm -hmm. love how you mentioned my experience with HS and surgeries was I was with a dermatologist who knew a lot about HS, but then I had to go to a surgeon who knew nothing about HS. And so it's good to even know that I need to keep communicating with that dermatologist while I'm getting this surgery and have him do the same, etc., which I haven't done. So it's really good to know that we have to start taking Yeah, and a lot of derms do have great surgeons that you guys work with all the time and that you recommend and that they, con you know, they consult back and forth. And a lot of derms, I think you've done some training with the general surgeons or the plastic mm -hmm. or whoever so that you have somebody you would recommend highly um, that you trust to take care of your patients for something that you may not be able to do in office. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the one other thing I wanted to ask really quickly, too, was about pyelonidal cysts because I'm like, what's the percentage of people with HS? Yeah. How many of us got that dang so cyst? So I just had pyelonidal cyst removal surgery and then Sydney is having horrible pyelonidal cyst. So wh and what is that? Can, can yeah. you explain what that is for me? <laughs> yeah. So the pyelonidal cyst is really interesting. It is like HS is sibling really 
Um, so it's almost the same. Like even when you look at it, if you take like a sample of the skin and look under the microscope, it looks identical to HS. So it's kind of funny. The pilonidal cyst, the name is sort of fitting for pilonidal cyst. So pilo means hair and nidal comes from nidus, which means like the cause of something, the trigger for something. And so the idea with the pilonidal cyst is that it's usually right above, uh, right kind of on your tailbone, just above your gluteal cleft, your crack. Um, and it forms a little cyst or a sinus, which is like a tunnel. And we found that there's usually some hair in there. So we think it starts with one of the hair follicles kind of triggering it. Um, there's even been reports of people getting them from other hair. So like people who groom dogs or barbers and hair salons have sometimes gotten them between their fingers when one of those little sharp hairs pushes in and they get a, the sort of same reaction yeah. to the hair yeah. that causes this little sinus or cyst. So it's a lot like HS. It sort of forms this little pocket and tunnel or cavity. It is really inflamed. It can drain. It can get red and swollen and turn into a big abscess. And some of the treatments are really similar. Like surgery is common, but there's about a 50% chance it'll come back after surgery. So some surgeons don't even like doing the surgery because they're like, oh, it's going to come back. It's just going to be more of a pain. But there were some studies that showed if you get laser hair removal to the area, it can reduce the risk that it will come back oh, wow. with the theory being it gets rid of any hairs in the area just in case there was anything left that was going to try to trigger a new one. Um, so I kind of describe pilonidal cyst as, you know, like I said, HS's brother or sister. It's like a sibling, almost the exact same thing. Dang, but not HS exactly got all these relatives. <laughs> It's never DBs ending. And it's never ending. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is so fascinating. And then how long does it usually last? Like if you're because I, I did hear that they could come back potentially too, but I figured for me it was worth the risk of of maybe having to go through the procedure again at a certain point. So is there like a, a an amount of time that they typically would stay away for before coming back or is it just crapshoot? You know, that's a great question. And I don't really know the answer. We respect yeah, it. Respect it. <laughs> but I don't know. Huh. Awesome. Well, I'll be and the first right, patient so to figure variable. it out. Like maybe it will, maybe it won't, mm -hmm. you know, and it's hard too, because um, like with HS surgery, one of the things we've learned with time is that it seems like stitching things together increases the risk that it's going to come back in those areas, maybe because it creates little pockets. So we do what we call secondary intention, where you just leave the wound open and let it scar over and heal up. And I haven't seen as much research into pilonidal cyst comparing, you know, if we leave it open and let it scar shut, or if we do a flap, or if we sew it up, what is the risk? Um, so I think that's another area that we could do more research to kind of figure out, all right, how similar is this thing to HS? Does it respond the, the same way to, to stitches and sewing things up that HS does? Yeah. Well, sign me up. <laughs> I always I always called it like it has to like heal from the inside out to let all the bad juju out. And I don't know what the hell the bad juju is, but that's what I call it. It's like just <laughs> let it heal, let the, the bad juju go, the good juju comes in. And yeah. that's like the beautiful scarring that we end up with. I'm really yes. thankful to speak to you today because you've given so many and options. I feel like with HS, I always hear either or. Yeah. If there's even an or, it's usually one option. That's it. You know, take antibiotics. That's it. That's all I got for you. Or do this. That's all I got. But you've given a bunch of ors and options, which is really great. And I think it's very nice to know we have those options. Yeah. It and makes we HS have less dermatologists out here yeah. as awesome as him. Yeah. Like, 
educating the masses, never yes. making us feel alone and making us feel shameful. And I mean, it's just, it was a privilege to, yeah. to sit and talk to you today. For I get sure. the hype. I get yeah. the hype Burnley's been given. <laughs> and, and you guys, I mean, it's never a good time to have HS, but it's a good time to have HS right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I know Dr. Dave Louie can testify to this too, that like we are in the spotlight right now. People want to yeah. know what's happening. We're getting the attention we finally deserve. Um, and it is a really good time to have HS. There's going to be a lot of things coming down the pipeline for us. And I think that we need to make sure to keep giving people hope that where we are now is not even where we're going to be in the next three years. There's going to be huge advancements in, in the field of HS and figuring out researching. And it is always weird that we're providing treatment options for something that we don't even know truly how it exists. I'm always like, <laughs> if there's an example of let's put the cart before the horse, this is it. Because we're mm-hmm. we're coming up with treatment options, identifying, you know, specific pathways. So it's not actually, you know, we still don't know how HS exactly becomes a thing. Um, but but we're the, trying to figure out how yes, to treat it. And that's exactly. all that matters. And so, how, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's the main part about it. And so... If you do see opportunities for surveys, studies, clinical trials, those kinds of things, to please participate in those because that's how we continue this momentum forward Absolutely. and make sure that, you know, mm. we're still getting that. And with the help of people like Dr. Dave Louie and the HS Foundation and Coalition of Skin Diseases and all and of these HS other Connect. And HS Connect, yeah, mm-hmm. how we're going to continue that forward movement and to make it so that HS is talked about just like high blood pressure and diabetes and no one has to carry the shame um, Ooh, of, yes. yeah, of walking around with this and that basically we're just identified and acknowledged by everyone and it's just commonplace because I think it's way more common than we have right. any idea and mm-hmm. it's it's insane. So Dr. Dave Louie, thank you thank so, you. so much for being here today, for shedding some light on all of this stuff that we get asked these questions constantly. And I think this is going to be so helpful to people. And uh, where can we find you? So I'm on Instagram at uh, doctor, but like spelled out the word underscore beard underscore MD. Um, and we do have, I work, I'm in Detroit. So if you're in the Detroit area, you can come see me at my practice. But if not, if you follow me on Instagram, I try to post opportunities and share things and, and raise awareness anytime I can and raise, share some of the good things the foundation's doing. And thank you all for having me, Divas. This is phenomenal. And thank you for the work you do because it's so great that you're getting the message out and you're there for people when they're looking for answers. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. And uh, HS, is it Hope for HS? I think that is putting on an in-person meeting now starting again in Detroit. You just had your first one, right? Yes, we just had our first meeting back live in person for the Hope for HS Detroit chapter. Yes. And it was great. It was so nice to be in a room full of people and they're connecting and meeting other people who have and asking questions and like building community again. Yeah. So stay tuned on our site because we'll post when they're going to have another meeting too. So if you're in Detroit or in the the area of Detroit. These meetings are for who who, patients? Yeah. Okay. okay, Yeah. So I would highly, Hope for HS is another um, support group and they do like in-person and online support groups. And so they just started back with their their chapter with these guys I in need person. To fly to Detroit. I know. Okay. So yeah, so stay tuned. We'll uh we'll make sure to post the next time you guys are having one so that people can come and join and in person and then that'd be fantastic. Oh, thank, thank you, you again you. so much for having or uh, for being on with us. I truly appreciate it and uh we look forward to talking to you again soon in another episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Hydrogenitis Super Divas podcast. We are so thankful to UCB for sponsoring this episode, and we cannot wait for you guys to tune into the next. We're the Hydrogenitis Super Divas. If you got HS, you'll
still want to meet us It's not your fault, put the shame to a halt HSD must know how to have a ball The hydratinitis, super divas Put the shame to a halt, cause it's not your fault